focus on headline. And let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines here on Focus on Headline. For this, joining us in the studio, we have our reporters Yu Soo-min and Chen Sung cho Guys, welcome back. Good, Good afternoon. All right, uh, so we are going to start things off with some economy-related news today. As you know, inflation, the risk of stagflation, uh, the slowing economic growth, all of that being mentioned left and right on the headlines. But again, uh, the world as a whole is really trying to struggle, uh, struggling to cool down the raging inflation rate right now. The South Korean government expanding fuel tax cuts is an emergency step to curb inflation. I believe it is the legal maximum that we're looking at here. All this to ease the civilian burdens. Uh, start us off, Samina. Yeah, so just like you said, to counter this highly alarming inflationary pressure, the South Korean government announced a package of emergency measures yesterday. Now the pillars being A, additional fuel tax cuts, and B, minimizing electricity and gas rate hikes. So starting next month, fuel uh, tax cuts on fuel consumption will be expanded to a legal cap of 37% from the current 30%. Now, this has already been record high, but this additional fuel tax cut at 37% will be effective throughout the end of this year. Now, the measure will lower the fuel tax by 57.1 per liter for gasoline, 38.1 for diesel, and 12.1 for LPG. Now, Finance Minister Chu Kyung-ho, while briefing on the results of this emergency meeting of economic ministers said the government will immediately implement measures to ease the burden from high oil prices. Now, the government expects the cut to reduce average monthly fuel costs by 7,001. Now, this decision came less than two months after the government lowered fuel taxes by 30% in May from the previous 20%. The measure, obviously, was supposed to expire at the end of July, but with uh, Sunday's decision, the fuel tax, which now stands at 500 173.1, that's 0.44 US dollars per liter, will drop by an additional 57.1 per liter. But you know, despite this great reduction, given that domestic gasoline and diesel prices are expected to continue this upward streak, at least for the time being, we do know that the global oil prices still remain high at nearly $120 a barrel. There are concerns that the effects of additional fuel tax might taper off pretty soon. And another problem that we are facing now is that there is virtually no way to respond from the government's perspective if oil prices do not come down in the near future because the government has even brought up adjusting the flexible tax rate which is considered to be the last resort. So this is the reason why some people say that if oil prices continue to soar, the law should even be revised to further increase the legal max, legal cap of fuel tax cuts. Uh, just a quick question for both of our uh, reporters today. Both of you, you guys drive to work. I mean, you drive around, right? Yes. Um, do you know how much you guys spend per fill-up uh, nowadays? How much do you spend on a fill-up per fill-up? Like 100... 100? 100,001, yes. 100,001, yeah. 100,001, 100,001. It's what? almost double what it was like half a year ago. You guys yeah. drive a gasoline car or a diesel? Uh, I drive a I diesel. diesel. I drive a diesel too. And you it's guys, amazing yeah. how it's even higher than gasoline these days. It's crazy. So Just... all three of us, we drive diesel cars <laughs> and uh, the reason why we bought a diesel car was because it was cheaper than gasoline. Yes. It's actually interesting that you guys are paying more. Mm -hmm. uh, I pay around uh, about 90000 per fill-up. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you guys are filling up 100000 I mean, which is, again, I mean, I'm not, not going to really complain much. It's better than nothing, right? But when mm -hmm. you're talking about 
up, you were saying how it doubled. You're absolutely right. It used to cost me about fifty to sixty thousand one per fill up mm -hmm. each time. Now it's about ninety thousand for me, close to a hundred. Mm. Sure, it's seven thousand one per month. Uh, it's better than nothing, but it's still, uh, you know, a huge burden on the drivers right now. Which is why, from what I understand, a lot of people are now opting. Uh, to use the public transportation, but uh, you know, some people like me, when we live so far away from my workplace, have no other option but to drive. Right? Another, of course, uh, pressure that the consumers are facing: electricity uh, prices. The government has hinted at hikes in electricity and gas bills, but at the same time, vowed to minimize the hikes to ease the burden on the public. So, assuming you also have more on this. Yeah, so that's what Finance Minister Chu Kyung-ho again said today, that uh, the South Korean government will make utmost efforts to minimize the pace of hikes in electricity and gas prices, which are now under increasingly upward pressure with the global energy cost. So, South Korea's state-run Korea Electric Power Corp, CAPCO, previously called on the government to allow it to raise the electricity rate by up to 3 won per kilowatt hour for the third quarter because, as we know, high energy costs sharply widened its operating losses. Now, just to give you the figure, the Capco reported a record high operating loss of 7.78 trillion won in the first quarter of this year, which is obviously larger than the operating loss of 5.86 trillion won logged for all of 2021 the past year. Now, the Korea Gas Corporation even plans to raise gas prices by 0.65 671 next month to 1.91 per megajoule. But still, the government pledged to minimize hikes in public utility fees, hinting at freezing railway, post postal service, water and sewage charges in the second half of 2022. Well, these remarks indicate that the government would freeze most of the public utility fees, but they would leave the door open for possible hikes in electricity and also gas rates. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things with like electricity we have numbers that show that Kepco is bleeding money, yeah. right? I mean, because of all the you know the cuts that uh, tax cuts that we've been seeing uh, because of the pandemic and so forth. Whereas with the gasoline prices, the oil price, I mean, these are uh, the oil conglomerates. I mean, they're making basically historic record high profits right mm -hmm. now during the pandemic, which is why a lot of people are complaining. They're making so much profit. Why continue to raise these oil prices right now? Whereas in electricity, I don't think if even if the electricity bills do go up, uh, we don't have that much room to complain. Concerning the fact that, I mean, Kepco is bleeding so much money right now and they need to really, they need to make a profit somehow. Mm -hmm. Chris Rhodes, I believe he's uh, chiming in all the way from the UK. He says to fill up my Ford Fiesta, it's a small car, cost me 65 pounds. That's 20 pounds more than it was last year. I'm glad I work at home now, save as I fill up mm -hmm. at least once a week when I work in the office. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's the other the other reason why people want to just uh, work remotely from now on because mm -hmm. they don't want to pay for those gas bills. But, Should uh, we ask our perks. producer to give us options too? Oh. <laughs> you know, I tell you what, I tell you what, I have worked remotely before. Yeah, uh, yeah. I prefer just coming into the office. There's there's way too many distractions mm. at home. Uh, I'd much rather just pay for the gas gas prices, right? <laughs> but again, uh, we know, we're not just talking about oil prices here, you know, prices increase on grocery items, certainly not helping, you know, the financial situation for everyone out there. These days, uh, people certainly feeling the squeeze at the supermarkets, restaurants, what have not, and having to stretch their budgets further to accommodate the rising prices. So, Sungcho, let's get more on this. Right. So if we just look at the number, the country's consumer prices jumped 5.4% on year in May, the fastest rise in almost 14 years and a pickup from a 4.8% spike in April. So it's not surprising that people are store hopping, yeah. cutting back.
back on expensive items and using more coupons. <laughs> um, so I, I want to give you some examples. For instance, meat products got much pricier. And that's certainly concerning a lot of people because Korean people are known for eating pork. Yeah, a lot of barbecues, right? A lot of barbecue. So if you look at samgyeopsal, pork belly, 810 grams of pork belly, uh, which is enough for two people, cost around 23,000 won now. But it used to cost around 18,000 won. So if you look at per 100 grams, it's about 2,791, almost 3,000 won. And also watermelon, the, the weather is warming up and watermelon is one of Korea's favorite seasonal fruits in the summer. Uh, but many shoppers are hesitant to put one in their shopping baskets these days because prices have increased by more than 30% from a year ago. Uh, watermelons have become 2,000 won, which is about one one dollar and fifty cents to three thousand one more expensive recently so people now even say that it's a luxury to eat watermelon some people who try to make more kimchi before the rainy season begins are struggling too because uh, vegetable prices like cabbage garlic and onion uh, that are key ingredients for making kimchi have jumped as well so and also people who work from office you know they have to go out and have lunch outside their office uh, but it's a bummer for those people as well because more and more local restaurants who used to sell affordable meals have increased their prices, cost more than 10000 to 15000 one more to eat lunch. Even delivery food costs more as delivery yeah. fees are going up as well. And so targeting those experiencing, quote-unquote, lunchflation, <laughs> convenience store chains are now offering an improved meal selection beyond like samgakimbap, like triangular rice balls or cup noodles. Even though, you know those uh, sanggakimpaps, the triangular rice balls you were talking about? Even those have gotten pretty pricey. <laughs> it used to be like a thousand won for one of those things, mm-hmm. and now it's What's like 2,000 now. Wow. It's about 2,000. So, I mean, oh they say goodness. that it's bigger, right? So the mm. trick is, and I got fooled, right? So I got, it's bigger, and then you buy one because it's like 2,301. It mm. used to be like 1,500 okay. before, and you open it up, it's all rice and no filling, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, people, especially office workers, right? Yeah. I mean, luckily for us here, I've noticed more and more of our uh, co-workers going down to the cafeteria to eat uh, these days because yeah. it's Instead free. Instead of eating out. Yeah, it's mm. free, right? Because, so yeah, we're talking about like 1,001, 2,001 increase, but it adds up definitely after yeah, like a long true. time. So. No, it, yeah, it definitely does. And I've been finding myself uh, not ordering any uh, you know delivery food mm, these days yeah, because not only are the fees. prices expensive, but the, the delivery free is ridiculous. Yeah. But I mean, rightfully so, right? I mean, the gas prices are mm-hmm. going up, and they're obviously, you know, get it, that's coming out of their own pockets. The delivery fees aren't going to go up. But let's talk about the measures the government has come up with to help people facing these uh, higher grocery prices. Right. So first of all, uh, the government is trying to tackle the issue by managing supply and demand of items, of which price fluctuations are taking a toll on everybody Um, everyday people's lives. So if we look at Economics 101, when supply goes up and exceeds demand for a good, prices fall, right? So that's what the government is trying to do. So for instance, for the next two months, the government plans to distribute and supply more potatoes, onions, and garlic from its reserves to the market. So they're going to open up their inventory. So we're talking about 20 tons of potatoes a day, 60 tons of onions a day being released to the market every single day. And if it's still not enough, then the Korea Agrofisheries and Food Trade Corporation will step in with emergency measures to import more fresh produce to increase pump in in more supply. And actually, the finance ministry already unveiled a set of measures late last month to curb inflation 
situation and stabilize people's living conditions, including the removal of import duties on key food ingredients such as cooking oil, pork and flour until the end of this year. And talking of pork, uh, later this month, the government will implement a zero-duty tariff rate quota on imported pork. Because pork imports from the United States, the European Union, and Chile already already enter Korea at zero-duty under free trade agreements, the quota will mainly impact Canadian, Mexican, and Brazilian pork. But with this, however, um, the price of imported pork could fall in Korea by as much as 20%. The government also is trying to even collaborate with the private sector to stabilize prices. So for instance, it, um, it's joining hands with, uh, with large retailers and supermarkets such as HomePlus, Lotte Mart, and E-Mart, and plans to roll out a 5 billion won discount coupon project. Yeah, I don't think people understand how much of an increase in price we're actually seeing like it's coming at us without us knowing like for mm. example like onions i heard that the, the the price of onions from a year ago has jumped 99% almost double <laughs> That's right, so, crazy. So it doesn't seem like a oh lot, but you know, when you, onions are one of those things where you know Koreans use a lot of in yeah, their cooking. Yeah, one of the staples. Yeah, uh, basic po- ingredients. Potatoes are skyrocketing right now, mm-hmm. um, and I mean, I prefer uh, to, to be honest with you. I mean, like you know, we would love to have Korean pork, right, Handon, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you got to have those uh, imported pork nowadays. Uh, it's so much cheaper these days. Again, I, you know, I think everyone's feeling this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of us are feeling the pinch right now. Things are getting expensive. It used to be that if you had, you know, $100 or about uh, 100,000 Korean won, uh, it could get you a week's worth of grocery back in the days. Now it's like a few days right mm-hmm. now. I mean, is there anything you guys are doing to save on the grocery, save on the inflation that we're seeing right now, even with the oil prices? Are you making any kind of changes to your daily life? So, Sumi, let's start off with you. Well, I've been paying attention to e-commerce websites like C or T and W, mm-hmm. the, those e-commerce websites, mm-hmm. um, being on the lookout for deals, some deals, because mm-hmm. this usually coincides with some of the anniversaries. And we also have to take full advantage of the coupons they provide, especially during those bargain events and deals. And actually, I've been making a shopping list and, you know, I've been sticking to it. I like planning recipes or what I'm going to eat throughout the entire mm. week make sure that I use some of the same ingredients mm. like on Monday and Wednesday. <laughs> but you need to plan out to save up every single thing that you buy from groceries? Yeah, uh, kind <laughs> of. Look, okay, let's say I stocked up some eggs. I would vary the cooking method like make scrambled, sunny side up, egg salad, boiled eggs, steamed eggs so that, you know, I won't get too fed up with the same kind of ingredients every single day. Are you having just <laughs> eggs all throughout the week? Struggle is real I right now, ladies and eggs, gentlemen. Actually, I know. Struggle I is real right every now. Single day. Oh, it's not because you're struggling financially, no, no, right? No, okay. no, no, no. I love eggs. Okay. Yeah, another tip would be cutting down on unnecessary expenditures like not drinking name brand coffees because there are, there are a lot of mm. low cost uh, takeout coffee shops these days. So that could be one of the options that we could save up. You know, you know we've been getting. Uh, we've been getting free coffee from Arirang these days. We have a new uh, resting area. Uh, mm. none, uh, none, of us, none of us are buying coffee anymore. <laughs> We're all getting free coffee. It might not taste as good as some of the brand names out there, but mm. we'll, we'll take it, right? Yeah, so, mm. I mean, I've been noticing that uh, you haven't been posting your Instagram pictures of all these uh, fancy restaurants <laughs> I don't anymore. post Instagram pictures a lot. Uh, so I, I guess the inflation's really hitting uh, Sumin real hard, uh, just judging by her... Uh, uh, Instagram oh post. Uh, what about yourself, uh, Song Chua? I mean, uh, how do we do? What do you do? Or what can we do to save on the groceries? 
Well, actually, I've prepared some tips for you to oh. save on groceries, actually. So I tell you to go back to math basics. So first of all, um, like Sumin said, if you see an item on sale that's a staple in your household, try to buy several or in bulk so you have it on hand later. This tip may not apply to highly perishable items like food, groceries, but may be useful for stocking up on canned or frozen vegetables or shelf staple items. And also, maybe you can find, uh, you can easily switch to a lower priced store brand of a certain product yeah. and be just happy as uh, with the quality. And also, to make comparison shopping easier, zoom in on the unit price that's often listed on the shelf price tag for an item. Uh, the unit price tells you the price per like kilogram or liter, other form of measurement. If you're comparing brand name to in-house labels or bulk packages versus smaller sizes, uh, the unit price can help you make heads or tails of all the details with a quick glance. And also another tip is, yeah, definitely give up on all the bad habits like smoking. Maybe it's time right now. Yeah, I mean, although I have to say the one thing that hasn't gone up in prices were cigarette prices, <laughs> ironically. That's the only thing that's been same uh, in the prices right now. Don Pack says, I cook myself uh, mm, by myself since COVID-19. I've been cooking for myself for three years now. Yeah, a lot of people are choosing to do that. It is, uh, you know, I guess if you plan in a meal for like the weekend stuff like that, it, on the long term, it's cheaper. But mm -hmm. like if you're trying to cook, let's say, I don't know, if you want to have like pasta, right? You're just really craving for pasta. Mm -hmm. And you buy just for one serving. For one serving, mm -hmm. it just ends up being more costly, right? Yeah. But if you're, you know, buying the ingredients for something that you're going to have for long term, it is a lot cheaper uh, eventually. So that, yeah, definitely. So I mean, it's it's gone to the point where. Really, it's really ridiculous. Even alcohol prices. The thing that really hit me hard was uh, the four for a ten thousand one Korean. Uh, sorry, uh, beer. Beer. Convenience stores. It's eleven thousand now. That that one thousand extra really hit me hard. To be honest with you. Maybe give up on alcohol as well. <laughs> I mean, I don't really drink a lot. To be honest with you. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, you just make it sound like I'm an alcoholic or something. <laughs> Uh, high prices level uh, weighing down on citizens for sure. Just like I mentioned, South Korea saw the highest economic misery index in 21 years in the month of May. Uh, what's this index about? Tell us about this, Sumin. Yeah, so South Korea's economic misery index, quote-unquote, for last month reached the highest level in 21 years. Well, main opposition Democratic Party lawmaker Kim Hee-jae, after analyzing the data from the Statistics Korea, said earlier today that the index, which basically measures the sum of unemployment and inflation rate, reached 8.4 in May, so which is last month. So I'm pretty sure you're not you might not be familiar with this index. Do you know what this index is about? I've never uh, heard of it before. Me too. You no, know, no. I'm going to be honest yeah, with you. So it was initially created by economist Arthur Okun. So this misery index gauges how an average citizen is doing economically. So that is, in turn, measured by the unemployment rate and also the inflation rate. So last month's index was the highest since May 2001 when the figure stood at 9. Well, the reason why the figure was that high, we do know it's because because consumer prices posted the sharpest growth in nearly 14 years, partly because of the skyrocketing prices of raw materials with the protracted conflict in Ukraine, which in turn affected the global production and some supply chain disruptions. So this is why President Yoon Song-yar especially called on the National Assembly to engage in bipartisan support to address crises involving people's livelihoods, saying that they are deeply suffering. The National Assembly has yet to complete its formation for the 
latter half of the current four-year session because rival political parties still remain at odds over appointing the chamber's top positions and some of the committee members. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm not surprised with this uh, index, to be honest with you. Although, I mean, it, it, it tells you, right, uh, considering that it's uh, for the first time we're hearing about this, it only shows you how bad it is right now. Mm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, all of us, I'm sure, we're feeling this right now. While inflation dominating the global economy as well, senior Biden administration officials on Sunday pushed back on some economists' projection of an impending recession. Yeah, a lot of economists are saying that right now uh, recession is looming in the U.S., but they're arguing that it's possible possible to curb inflation without causing a major economic slowdown. Sungjo, tell us more about this. Right. So definitely, uh, it seems like they're trying to be more optimistic yeah, with the current yeah. situation. Uh, top officials in the Biden administration made the rounds on the Sunday news show to tout the strength of the domestic economy and downplay the likelihood of a recession. So Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, that's who we're starting with first, she claimed on ABC that a recession is not inevitable. Though she foresees the U.S. economy slowing down in the months ahead. Another person, Brian Dees, who is the director of the National Economic Council, he also echoed Yellen's optimism as well, even as he acknowledged that Americans are seeing the shock of gas prices around $5 a gallon, quote, creates some uncertainty and creates real economic hardship, end quote. So basically, they both noted the strong labor market with the unemployment rate of 3.6% and low mortgage rate and credit card delinquencies behind their why they're optimistic about the current situation. But this is an assessment at odds with that of some CEOs and economists around the world. So economists recently surveyed by the Wall Street Journal said the probability of the country entering into a recession the next year is almost half, like 44%. It's a marked increase from 28% who said who said so in April and 18% who agreed in January. So forecasters have raised recession probability due to a number of factors. Higher borrowing cost, a blistering pace of inflation, supply chain problems, and commodity price shocks stemming from the war in Ukraine. Mostly, however, they think that rate increases by the Fed in the future won't cool inflation without inducing higher unemployment and an economic downturn. Yeah, you know what's interesting is uh, the last time the U.S. did face a recession was uh, back in December 2007 to June 2009. And I was in the United States back then, but I didn't feel it back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but right now, there are a lot of people are saying, you know, although so there are some optimists out there, if the recession does hit in the United States, it's actually going to be pretty big, bigger than the previous recession they had in 2007, 2009. Mm-hmm. So it is still concerning. Uh, it's interesting that there are a lot of uh, optimists out there. But uh, assuming uh, inflation and interest rate hikes, I mean, these are just not the domestic matters that we're looking at, especially developing nations or the so-called emerging countries are facing a myriad of uh, just challenges left and right with a cocktail of risks. The protracted war that we talk about, inflation complicating situation. Tell us more about this. Yeah, so in the list of developing countries that are obviously facing mounting challenges include, of course, Sri Lanka. Well, Sri Lanka defaulted on its debt for the first time in its history just last month. So Sri Lanka has been really struggling with the worst financial crisis in more than 70 years. And the government of Sri Lanka is saying that the country was now in a preemptive default, unable to meet some or all 
of their $78 million worth of unpaid debt interest rate payments to creditors, and the debt crisis was increasingly exacerbated this inflation, including the record high food crisis. And as a result, I mean, civil unrest is really serious over in Sri Lanka. There are violent street protests happening daily. Now, Ecuador, uh, another major oil producer, has been particularly hit by this rising inflation and unemployment, poverty, exacerbated by the coronavirus pandemic. And fuel prices have risen sharply since 2020 in Ecuador. So demonstrators in Ecuador demanded cheaper fuel and food price controls. They blocked roads during the weekend in a sixth day of sometimes violent demonstrations. And unfortunately, a lot of global market observers are saying that this Sri Lanka default is an ominous sign for emerging markets raising alarms for more defaults from other countries as well. So at least 14 developing economies that's tracked by uh, Bloomberg Gage have debt yields at an excess of 1,000 basis points over U.S. treasuries, which is a threshold for bonds to be considered distressed. And this added pressures on rising food, energy prices, that's already started to pop up in other countries like Egypt, Tunisia, and Peru. Well, not to mention Pakistan, Ethiopia, El Salvador, and Ghana. These countries are also in danger of following suit, that's according to, by, according to Bloomberg Economics last month. And these, in turn, fueled street protests in multiple emerging nations, and the governor of World Bank is seeking prompt solutions to tackle these problems. Yeah, and El Salvador, is they're, they're in a completely different kind of problem, too, because remember, if you guys remember, they decided to make uh, Bitcoin legal ten, uh, their tender, right? So <laughs> the country ended up using their country's money to buy like 2,000-something Bitcoins, and I think they bought it at like something like $60,000 average. It's like 20,000 is less than 20,000 right now. It's lost a lot. So, I mean, again, it's it's really not really the major economies. I mean, the major economies, sure, it's concerning too, but it is the, the developing economies mm. that's very mm. concerning as well. Chris Rhodes says, I remember where sessions were supposed to be rare and once in a lifetime. It seems since 2008, we've never really left one. The world starts to recover and something else happens to drop us back in. It's like the COVID-19 pandemic, right? We think like finally everything is ending and then monkeypox pops up or like, you know, COVID-19 pandemic slowing things, getting slower. And then the war in Ukraine, and then everything seems to be quiet again, inflation. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, left and right right now. Uh, We'll continue to keep a close eye on the economy situation worldwide. But in the meantime, another thing that we've been watching very closely, South Korea's space rocket duty back up again on the launch pad to be sent to space uh, into orbit tomorrow second launch was originally scheduled for june 14th last week of course we know that it got delayed because of uh strong winds and then it got delayed again for because of a technical glitch i think finally if everything goes well it's going to be launched tomorrow so uh tell us about the launch Yes, so earlier today, Nudi was finally transported 1.8 kilometers on a carrier vehicle from where it was assembled to where it will take off for a second time tomorrow. So now it's erected at the NATO Space Center in the southern coastal village of Kohung, and it will undergo, well, actually, it's, it is undergoing uh, pre-launch checkups and uh, having its umbilical cables connected. That's supposed to be until 7 p.m. today. These umbilical cables 
cables link Nuri to the control room and will provide the rocket with fuel and oxidizers in the hours before the launch. So for now, the liftoff is likely to take place at 4 p.m. Tuesday tomorrow, but the time could change, obviously, depending on a number of factors. But regardless of its failure or success tomorrow, the country plans to conduct four additional Nuri rocket launches by 2027. So all eyes are on whether it's going to be successful tomorrow or not. But uh, some people may be wondering why this is such a big deal, despite after um, multiple delays and uh, failures. But a successful launch will mark a critical juncture in Korea's space development since Nuri is a homegrown space rocket. That's this right. means we'd be able to send satellites into orbit fully on our own. Uh, and uh, as you all know, South Korea has already invested a ton of money, nearly two trillion won, in building Nuri since 2010. Uh, the global space industry is growing fast, so Korea is certainly trying to catch up. Countries around the world are pushing space development as a key part of investment for national growth. Uh, we're talking about uh countries like China, Japan, Britain, and Australia. The U.S. definitely is leading uh, the development industry as well. Uh, since space development has a broad impact on all industries, such as broadcast and communication businesses via satellite, it will influence the future development of a number of things like TVs, mobile phones, chips, satellite reception devices, and GPS receivers. Certainly so. And uh, again, I mean, we would love to see a lot of these satellites up in space from South Korea. One of the things I wish to see an improvement on is the weather forecasting. <laughs> weather I'm for with you. Yeah. I'm telling you. I mean, I thought it was going to rain hard this weekend, and I had to cancel my dinosaur park trip with my son. He was Aww. very upset, and then it didn't Aww. rain at all. Speaking of which, I was saying this just last week. Never in my life have I been checking up the weather conditions down in Kohung. Uh, <laughs> but in uh, recent days, I've certainly been checking up on that. Um, what's the weather like there, Sumi? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, the sky in Bungnaemyeon, Kohungun, where you've been paying attention, where also where the Naru Space Center is located and where all these preparations are taking place, that was cloudy until 1 p.m. today, but it's expected to be cloudy again from 8 p.m. tonight. The surface wind speed is expected to be quite mild, between 1 to 3 meters per second. But tomorrow, the D-Day, a small amount of rain is expected to fall in Bungnaemyeon area from 5 a.m. to 9 a.m., no rain has been forecast in the afternoon, but anyhow, rain does not have like that significant effect on the launch, but we do have to be on the lookout for mm. that. The surface wind is going to be stronger than today, but it's still going to be mild at around 1 to 6 meter per second. Well, today, daytime temperatures rose to above 30 degrees in some regions, and some occasional rain is expected over in Jeju from tonight to Wednesday, and some parts in Gangwon-do area, Chungcheong-do, North Jeollabuk-do, and North Gyeongsangbuk-do provinces as well. Yeah. Um, disobedient Space Whale says, Hey, SJ, pop quiz, who was the first Korean in space? I believe it was a female astronomer, uh, ast uh, astronaut, uh, Lee Soyeon, I believe, mm -hmm. was the first. Lee Soyeon, Lee Soyeon. Lee Soyeon, yeah. So, I mean, she was the first uh, Korean in space. From what I understand, uh, it, that was a... Uh, Man, that was, that was a while back, actually. Right. And that was the big news, right? Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, uh, hopefully the launch does happen 
tomorrow. We have our fingers crossed here. In the meantime, what we want things to end really quickly is what's going on in Ukraine. The war uh, certainly dragging on right now. People, of course, uh, including all of us, were kind of hoping this all finally comes to an end. Unfortunately, NATO's Secretary General recently warned the war could take years. Uh, this in a recent interview with a German weekly newspaper. So Sungjo, tell us about this. That's right. Uh, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg's stark warning was published Sunday by the German publication Bild. He said that th though a supply of state-of-art weapons would increase Kiev's chances to free the eastern Donbas region from Russian control, the West must prepare to continue supporting Ukraine in a war lasting for years, since it is impossible to predict when the war will end. Uh, but he urged the world that we must not let up in supporting Ukraine, even if the cost are high, not only for military support, but also because of rising energy and food prices, something that we've been talking about all day today. In the meantime, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson also said it is crucial to continue to support uh, Kiev as the conflict drags on. Writing in the Sunday Times, Johnson accused Russia's Vladimir Putin of resorting to a quote-unquote campaign of attrition and quote-unquote trying to grind down Ukraine by sheer brutality. So even when global leaders are sending full support to Ukraine, Ukraine. It's been almost four months since Russian and Ukrainian forces started battling for control uh, of territory in the Ukraine's east. And in recent weeks, Moscow has made slow advances. On Friday, the Washington Post reported that many experts believe the war is likely to settle into a lower intensity conflict or a situation like that on the Korean Peninsula, where South-North fighting was halted in a 1953 armistice without a formal end to the war. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, that's like the, I can't say that's the best case scenario, but uh, I mean, if it's really going to drag on for years, I mean, it's really not good for the entire world as we've been seeing uh, how it impacts all of us. Uh, in the meantime, soon Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky has vowed to retake the southern part of the country this after taking his uh, first trip to the southern front line. So uh, let's get more on that. Yeah, so President Zelensky rarely makes his trip out of the capital city of Kyiv, mainly for security reasons. But he traveled to the holdout city of Mykolaiv and visited troops nearby and in neighboring Odessa region for the very first time since the Russian invasion. Now, Mykolaiv, this is the key target for Russia because it lies on the way to the strategic Black Sea port of Odessa. So both are Russia's targets, actually, to seize the Black Sea coast. And there, the president said, and I quote, we will not give away the South to anyone. We will return everything that's ours, and the sea will be Ukrainian and safe. So if you really read into this appearance and why he is now at the southern front line, uh, unlike his previous experiences, and moving closer to the front lines as days go by, it could be a strategic move to highlight their fierce resistance and defiance against Russia and could be, according to the New York Times, it's to demonstrate that his forces have a sufficiently firm grip on these volatile areas, uh, so-called volatile areas, to allow him to move about safely or it could be to boost the morale. And quite interestingly, the New York Times also added that it's part of Zelensky's intention to divert the attention from the eastern Donbas region where, you know, the death tolls have been on the rise to another region like the southern border where its troops are showing a level of progress compared to the eastern Donbas region. Yeah, again, for our listeners out there, Russia is not planning to invade the entirety of Ukraine. There is a reason why they're hitting the southern and eastern parts of Ukraine and by the Black Sea. That's because
because that's where all the natural gas is, right? And mm -hmm. so that's the biggest thing. I mean, that's a, that's a major, major, um, I guess, uh, reason for why this uh, the war. I, I guess I can't say that's the main reason for why this war is happening in the first place. But nevertheless, disobedient space whale says in the UK, uh, British Army has been told by generals they must be prepared to fight Russia. Um, I haven't read up on that, but that's quite interesting. And I think that maybe that's possible if, I mean, there is always the possibility that Russia might be using nuclear weapons. Um, I know it's going to be kind of different with North Korea. North Korea is always threatening, <laughs> but uh, we never really take them seriously. Russia, yeah. I think, is completely different, mm -hmm. where I think they could potentially use that. And if there is a nuclear war, there is a very good chance that other, uh, a third world war uh, will take place. And that that's the lasting that uh, we would like to see uh, right now, currently in this world. Nevertheless, uh, our two reporters, uh, Song Cho and uh, Sumi, thank you very much for coming in today and giving us your insights, especially those uh, grocery tips as well. <laughs> Stay safe, and uh, we'll see you guys again. It was my pleasure. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.